Good morning. This is Alan Carroll at Carroll Pharmacy in Smithfield, and we are proud to bring you Hope for Today, a program we hope might help you, inspire you, or encourage you and give you hope for today. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I'm glad to welcome Hillary Likes today, who is here to tell her story of her journey. I'm sure you will be interested to hear. Many of you will be encouraged and given hope for your situation as you listen to Hillary's story. Welcome, Hillary. Thank you for having me here today. A little bit about myself. My name is Hillary Likes, and I was born in 1958. I was raised in Ferndale, Michigan, which is a suburb of Detroit. My parents worked at General Motors, and I was raised in a middle-class family. I have two older sisters, Heather and Robin. I'm a graphic designer, and I've always been creating or transforming things. I like to think of it as taking something and make it into a whole new and beautiful piece. It reminds me of how Jesus makes us a new creation. I've been married 33 years and have four children. I have a daughter, Samantha, who's 42, and Mallory, 31, and twins, Michael and David, who will be 20 this year. All my children are 11 years apart. I've been raising children nonstop for 42 years. I'm looking forward to being an empty nester. I have been saved 33 years, and my faith continues to grow, and God never disappoints me with the miraculous way he works. My goals as I slow down and enjoy this time of my life are doing what the Lord calls me to do. I feel I've been so busy, and I'm taking advantage of this time to be about his business. For two years, I was co-ministry leader for The Landing, which is a Celebrate Recovery for Teens. That's where my heart is. That's where I'm happy to help those in need. This is where I belong. That's what I thought. I have found serving others has helped me heal, but it was only for a season. Last summer, I started having extreme pain in my lower back, and in September, I had back surgery. It seemed to help, but November 1st, I was in pain again. I know God is still a God of miracles. I don't only mean physically, but our whole being. Only He can change us from the inside out. Sometimes we look for the miracle in healing, when really the miracle is also in His leading us through the trial. I have found prayer is a powerful thing, and I have quite a few people praying for me. I have found we have to be teachable and transparent, We have to ask for help and for prayer because it is then that God's power is released. Matthew 18, 19, and 20 says, Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree anything you ask for it, I will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. In Ecclesiastics 4, 12 says, A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated but two can stand back to back to conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. In December, I was so tired, and I had no energy. I had a physical and found out I was anemic. In January, I was in such pain I could hardly walk into my doctor's office. I was a mess crying out from the pain. I knew something was wrong. I begged my doctor to do an MRI on my back, and he agreed. They did find a spot on my spine. The spot could have been due to my anemia, but the doctor didn't want to take the chance that I was the 1% with bone cancer. Well, I was that 1%. I'm glad I did not ignore the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So on February 20th, 
2018, that was the day my life changed forever. When my oncologist walked into the room, he said, it's not good. Your life from this moment on will change. I have multiple myeloma. It's a blood cancer of the plasma cells. They go wild and produce too many plasma cells and they crowd out the other cells of my bone marrow. It's incurable, I'm told. The best I can hope for is remission. I can look back over the years and see the Lord's hand in my life preparing me for this time in my life. The busyness of my life had to change. First, I cut back on my volunteering 40 hours a week as Booster Club president. The next year was giving up substitute teaching because of my health. I worried about losing the income. It's been three years and God has provided for us. I've learned over and over if it's God's leading and you walk in obedience, he takes care of the rest. Soon after my friends heard the news, they rallied around my family and me. My friends Stacy and Lena organized meals and immediate needs through a Facebook page, hashtag Team Hillary. The weeks following were a blur of tests and treatments. Everything was happening so fast. At that time, our pastor was teaching us about how we all have a platform, meaning we are all used in some way, in some capacity, for the glory of the Lord. The funny thing is, I did not know that before the Lord laid it on my heart to use Facebook as a place to keep my family and friends updated and journal my feelings on this journey, but most of all, a place where hundreds of people would pray for me. I feel their prayers. I'm responding to treatment quickly, and my numbers have come down drastically in the three months of treatment from 5,100 to 500 light chains, my cancer count. I could not do this without the Lord and the prayers of believers he's put in my life. I get such encouragement from them. My journey has been made light. Prayers have been answered. I have tolerated chemo with hardly any side effects. I'm truly blessed to have a wonderful, supportive husband, family, church, friends, and all the people I've met through the years of working and volunteering. Through my walk, I've had great mentors that help lay a strong foundation in my faith. Being teachable has been the best advice I ever got. I've been through some very traumatic times in my life, either of my own choosing or by others. I found out two years ago when I started attending Celebrate Recovery at Temple, I still have baggage I need to deal with. As we grow in Christ, we have to process and deal with those things in our past. Being saved 33 years, I thought I had dealt with my past. CR helped me to process and deal with the mess and be free of the guilt and shame. It has given me the hope and knowledge moving forward. I'm not sure how I would be handling this cancer journey without my faith, my family, and my friends. I encourage you not to lose hope no matter what you're going through. Jesus will walk with you every step of the way. piece of advice my oncologist gave me, which is also biblical, is focus on one day at a time and always have hope. The day before my appointment with the oncologist, I knew I had cancer. I have come to recognize that the Lord works in my heart through many ways to prepare and accept what is coming. As I stood in my bedroom, I said to him, If I have cancer, I expect you to heal me for your glory. I believe he's doing that day by day while increasing my faith, but day by day. You can only be so prepared to hear you have cancer. My former cancer is very aggressive. On my bone marrow biopsy report under prognosis, it says poor but I serve a God that is bigger than that. I say I was prepared for the worst, 
but the first three nights I'd wake up and say to myself, this has to be a bad dream. One of the first emotions people experience is anger in these type of situations. Anger that is happening to them, questioning why me, being mad at God for allowing this to happen. Am I being punished? I did not experience that. In fact, when I told my family the news, that was the first thing I said. Do not blame God for this. Do not be angry with him. He would see me through this. Just in three short months, I have learned what it means to have a peace that surpasses understanding. I was quite a worrier, just ask my husband. I hope I leave behind a legacy that people will see what Jesus has done in my life by the way I live my life. That I have answered the calling he has on my life and that my children and husband saw a little bit of a Proverbs 31 women in me. I end with this. My life verse is Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I declare and stand on that promise. He has the last word of my outcome. I'd like to also share my testimony before I became sick, because I believe it will encourage you to know that no matter what you're going through or the terrible things you may have done, the Lord is there to forgive you and help you walk victorious. I struggled a lot with anger and self-worth and rejection, which led me to being a workaholic to prove myself. I came from a middle-class home with both parents who were career-driven. I don't remember my childhood much until the age of 13 because of some powerful anti-seizure medicines, phenobarbital and mycelin, I was on. I was on them from age 1 until 13. Little did I know that this would be a source of anguish for me. I struggled to remember my childhood. Who were my friends? How was my home life? What was the rules? How was I raised? Were there good memories? I can probably count on one hand the things I do remember before age 13. I remember our cottage in Canada. I remember getting whooped by my dad for bringing firecrackers from Canada and selling them to the neighborhood kids. We even had to return the money, and whatever was left was giving us an offering at church. When memories were brought up, it was very hard for me with my family because I couldn't remember. I felt ashamed like I was letting them down or I don't care to remember. Even years after being off the drugs, I still have difficulty recalling memories. I'm afraid my family will think it wasn't important enough for me to remember. That just is not so. I know this is where my fear of rejection has played a big part in my life. This year, I finally got up the nerve to ask my neurologist about my memory. He said those drugs do affect that part of the brain, that even after getting off them, the damage has already happened. It took me until I was in my 40s to let go of that feeling of isolation and loneliness, only because God helped me to do just that. He said, you concentrate on your future. The past is the past. I was determined to make memories that last that I could remember. I started scrapbooking as a way to cope and to pass on to my family memories as they happen so I can look back and remember. When I was taken off these drugs, there was no weaning off. It just abruptly stopped. 
I just did not feel normal anymore. I felt lost and was searching for something to feel normal and accepted. I looked to the wrong things. Not right away. I floundered for two years trying to make sense of things. But by the age of 15, I started to self-destruct. At the age of 14, I was raped by a neighborhood friend and two of his buddies just for saying hi from my doorway. They rushed into my home, and while I was being raped, my friend stole quarters that my parents were collecting for Las Vegas. I was so ashamed and terrified. I thought I brought this on myself and that it was my fault. I cleaned everything up, not even thinking to tell anyone. My parents noticed the quarters were gone and blamed me. I was terrified to tell them what happened. After that, I started drinking to make me feel normal and numb the pain. The same neighbor friend introduced me to alcohol and later to marijuana and other drugs. My family went to church every Sunday, but I don't remember ever being told about Jesus as a Savior and having a relationship with Him. It was more like a strict code of conduct you had to do to look the part for others. I remember being reprimanded for not having my head covered when I entered church. The sermons were more like Bible stories with no depth or how to apply it to your life. I was the rebellious one in my family, the black sheep. Yet I did not act out at home. I was respectful to my parents. I did what I was told. So I think it came as a shock to my parents when it all was exposed. My feeling of self-worth really plummeted, and by the age of 15, I was searching for love and acceptance. The situation came to a head when I came home high. My mom slapped me for taking the risk of getting high in all those years of trying to make me better from the seizures and the trips to specialists to figure out what was wrong with me, and that became the tipping point. When she slapped me, I jerked up my arm to protect myself, and my dad thought I was going to hit back, and my dad beat me. I was pregnant. I wanted to tell my parents, but I waited till I was six months along. I told my mom over the phone. I was terrified because of how they reacted before. I think subconsciously, or really God most likely, gave me that wisdom. I knew if I didn't want to tell them, they would have made me have an abortion. That feeling was right on. The first thing my mom did was call an abortion clinic, and she found out I was too far along, so they decided I would give the baby up for adoption. Back in the 70s, it was a shameful thing, and then they sent me off to an unwed mother's home. They were afraid it would affect their careers, and I think out of sight, out of mind was best for them. Another rejection added to my list. By this time, I really felt disconnected from my parents and others. I gave Jason up for adoption. He was the first grandson and was born on my grandfather's birthday, who also was put in an orphan at the age of five. Coincidence? I don't think so. I wanted so much to have a good relationship with my parents that I consented to the adoption, went to therapy, and it just did not get better. After giving Jason up, I upped my consumption of alcohol to the point of becoming an alcoholic by the age of 16. On his first birthday, I drank so much, it's a miracle I did not get alcohol poisoning and die. My parents escaped the pain by going on a cruise. My mom continued to let me know how displeased she was with me. By this time, besides the alcohol, I was smoking marijuana and doing other drugs, even selling them to friends so I did not have to buy my own supply. 
Between the ages of 16 and 17, I decided I needed to leave home. I left with my boyfriend, who later would be my daughter Samantha's father at the time, and he helped me to sober up. And at 17, I was pregnant again, and I decided this baby I was keeping. My daughter Samantha was born. Since I had no memory of my childhood, I had no parenting skills whatsoever. By 19, I was a single mom. I fell into a relationship that I thought was great, but looking back, God really did protect me from this man, who I believe was a sociopath. Even though I was a lost soul, I strived to be a good person. I had a bad car accident, really messed up my spine, and caused a condition called pseudotumor cerebri and papilledema. Basically, I was producing too much spinal fluid that backed up into my brain and was pressing on my eyes, causing blindness. The headaches were excruciating. I could not function in the daylight. It damaged my hypothalamus glands, so I walked about in sundresses in the dead of winter. In the end, I was too much trouble, and I was too good for him, and he left with my best friend. Another rejection. What was wrong with me that these two men were unfaithful to me and left me? I was done with men, so I thought. I met my husband, Pat, while he was in the Navy in Charleston, South Carolina in 1984. I was pretty messed up physically from the accident and going blind from the pressure of my spine into my head. I had been so disappointed by the men in my life. I was not looking for another relationship. God had a different plan. We've been together now for 35 years, 33 of that being married. I love my husband very much. He has always been a stabilizing force for me, and he was the father Samantha never had. She was eight when we got married, and she's always felt Pat was her dad. Our home was a place for sailors to come, let off steam, and party. I did not realize that this had a negative effect on my daughter. Because I loved her, I kept her. I didn't abort her or give her up, but these things weren't enough. I was too much of a friend and not a mother. I really did not come to this realization until I did my inventory in amends in CR. In 1985, Pat and I got married. I wish I could say it was easy from then on out, but I was still going blind and was in physical pain. Pat was away on a six-month deployment, and my daughter and I struggling to make ends meet, and emotionally I was a wreck. I sent Sam to see my sister, Heather, in Wilmington. I had been to an eye specialist, and he told me my eyesight would get worse and worse until eventually I would go blind. The weekly spinal taps were not keeping up with the pressure, and the mess my spine was in after the accident made the procedure difficult and painful. A week later, I joined Sam in Wilmington with my last $50. That was a turning point in our life. Sam and I accepted Jesus into our lives. Jesus not only saved and filled me with the Holy Spirit, but he reversed the blindness in my eyes. He healed me. When I went back to the eye doctor and the eye specialist the next week, he thought he had the wrong chart. I wish then I would have shared that it was all Jesus. I didn't want him to think I was some religious nut, all because of my rejection issues. Now I share freely the miracles God has done in my life, not just then, but now. I wrote Pat, and of course I told him all this great stuff that was going on and my hunger for the Word and Christ. Looking back, he probably thought I was off my rocker. I worried how I was going to tell him of my new convictions and relationship with Jesus. Did I mention I met Pat in a bar during Drink and Drown Night? 
Guess where I told him what was happening in my life? You guessed it, in a bar. We started going to church, and soon after, he gave his heart to the Lord. This was a turning point for us. We quit the partying lifestyle. I'm thankful to my sister and brother-in-law, Henry, for their discipleship. They really helped us have a firm foundation and taught us biblical principles to base our life on. For Samantha, the adjustment was harder because I went from partying single mom to being married to being saved, and I admit I was stricter, and that was difficult for her. We moved around a lot when she was growing up, and that did not stop when I married Pat because he was in the Navy. In the eight years we were married, we relocated three times. I think before I settled down from the age of 16, I had moved 40 times. Needless to say, my choices affected my daughter greatly. Even to this day, she misses having a neighborhood she can go back to or a childhood friend she can call. You see, we can say, I know, let me do my life my own way. I don't need help. I have to experience life myself. But our choices define not only us, but affect those that are in our life. And let me tell you, it is painful to watch how those choices are playing out in another's life. God says, no, you don't know. I created you. You're not to do life on your own, but to have a relationship with me. Revelations 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him, and he will be with me. In John 15.5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and in him, he that bears much fruit, for part of you can do nothing. That is why you need the help and fellowship of other believers. In Acts 2.42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer. In Proverbs 27.17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You need to experience life God's way to be truly happy and fulfilled. Philippians 2.12 and 13, Therefore, my dear friends, if you have always obeyed not only my in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You see, he has every area of our life covered if we just give our control and will over to him and take on his will for our life. I've had a lot of low points in my life before I came to the end and let Jesus take over. Besides what I've told you, I've been homeless and lived in a car with my daughter at the age of two. I had no heat or hot water in the winter of South Carolina. I was going blind from that car accident I was in. I could go on and on with all my bad choices. I have come to realize these choices were really selfish because if I had thought on the consequences, and how they would affect others, I would have chosen differently. Maybe. Without God, do we really choose the best way, His way? When I started Celebrate Recovery, I felt I made amends and dealt with the past. But I really, going through the inventory, helped me even more. The most painful area was that of my daughter, Samantha. History has a way of repeating itself, and Sam moved out when she was 16. It was an ultimatum I gave because of her strong will not to follow our rules and her choices. My concern was that it was affecting my other daughter, Mallory, and my anger 
that I was still working on to resolve. Our relationship got better with the space, but only on the surface I realized that this year. There was still resentment and anger that Sam had that I had no idea was still there. I acknowledged the instability she had, but I really didn't fully realize the impact of my lifestyle on her until we talked. It was a very painful couple of conversations for both of us, but I think it brought freedom to her to express her feelings to me, to ask questions and make myself vulnerable to her. I felt crushed by some of those feelings and thoughts she had, but I knew I had to listen and let her speak for there to be healing. I did not rationalize or defend my behavior, and really there is no excuse. I had to own it. This moment was about her at this point. She needed to get it out. I could feel, hear, and sense her suffering. I also know that Satan used those years to keep her in bondage and in fear. I now know more fully how to pray for her and us. I realized my decision to ask Sam to leave affected Mallory, my other daughter, because they were so close, even though they were 11 years apart. Mallory is another miracle God did in our life. The doctors told us because of her traumatic delivery that she would most likely not be normal because she had seizure after seizure. Satan took my fear of seizure medicine and tried to keep me from focusing how God great is and his healing power. Well, God healed her, and nine days later she was home. God is so faithful. I know I've not been a perfect parent. When I became a Christian, I finally had a handbook that could help me be a better parent called the Bible. I still make mistakes and struggle to do what is right, even if it's not the popular choice. I hope my kids know just how much I love them, and they have a safe and stable environment now to come home to. God blessed me with four children, and they're all 11 years apart. My relationships I have now are made even better by going through these steps of recovery at Celebrate Recovery. I've made lifelong friends, ones that will keep me accountable. It's giving me new tools not only to change myself, but to be used by God to help others. I felt God was leading me to minister to other women and teens, but I had to let go of the past and its secrets. I had already told my daughter Mallory when she turned 16 about Jason. I wanted her to know it's okay to say no to boys and to give her the assurance I would be there for her if she needed me no matter what. Samantha already knew about Jason from living through the aftermath with my parents. So after much prayer and talking to Pastor Rodney and Scooter one summer, I was able to tell my sons about my past. My biggest fear was to be rejected by my sons, but that was not the case. God prepared their hearts, and I was praying for the right time. I am now released to be used by God because there's no secrets than can hurt me or others in my life now. As they say at CR, you're only as sick as your secrets. And after 44 years, I was free. This has had a profound effect on me to become the woman of God that he wants me to be. Working the program, I'm able to see my worth from God's perspective, and I have to remind myself that is the most important thing, not what the world around me is saying or thinking, but what God thinks, what his will for me is. I have taken ownership of my bad choices. I realized my parents did the best they knew how. Back in the 70s, career and women's lib was going strong, and my parents wanted more for us and pushed us to do our best. 
I think that is why I'm a workaholic and strive to prove myself because of the disappointments I cause them and others. I've realized I just need to know God's will and his approval, not man's. My life verse is Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I know I read that in my other testimony, but I really want to stress that the Lord knows what he has in store for you, and it's all good. I've raised kids in three different generations. My twin boys, Michael and David, have opened my eyes up into this future generation of young people. Our home has always been a place for teens to hang out since Mallory's teen years. I believe because of the work he is doing in my life, God is drawing these teens to me, especially the alternative goth and what some people may call weird-looking, but God sees them as precious and valuable. My desire, and I believe God's will, is to be a mentor, an encourager, a safe person to express their hurts, habits, and hang-ups too. I want to speak life into them as God sees fit. Romans 8:28 says, And we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. My prayer is that all these hurts I have suffered by my choices or by the choice of others will glorify God. I want to impress on each and every one of us, not only teens, to stop and think before we act, because your choices affect not only your life, but others around you. They can have lifelong hurts. To this day, I wonder about the son I gave up. To this day, I realize the choice I made that got me there was wrong, and it affected my parents all their life. Sure, I wish we could do do-overs, but I know that God knows my past, present, and my future, and he uses it all for his glory. I was leader at the landing and It was a place for teens to go, to give them a safe place to come and be accepted, a safe place to share their hurts, habits, and hang-ups, a place they can learn the right coping skills, a biblical, life-changing Jesus who loves them, accepts them where they are at, a place to grow into what God wants for them. Since going to CR Summit, I am inspired by the verse Isaiah 43, 19, for I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I thank you, Hillary, for being here this morning. I thank you for these testimonies that you have read and your journey that you have been through. And I know everybody out there listening is glad that they tuned in this morning. And I'm going to read this last verse that she read from Isaiah 43:19. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? Thank you for listening. You have been listening to Hope for Today, brought to you each Sunday morning by Carol Pharmacy. We hope the message today has helped and encouraged you. If we can ever help you with your prescriptions, over-the-counter medications, or vaccines, We hope you will come in to our family-owned and operated independent pharmacy, where outstanding customer service is our goal. 